moms and motherhood. Without a doubt, that's a sacred calling, isn't it? And it's an overwhelming calling too, right? I mean, if, I don't know of anybody who has held a little tiny child in their hands and thought, oh, I'm, I'm good for this. I got this. I, I really felt that sense walking out of the hospital of like, seriously, you're letting me take this child home? Like, do you know who I am? I have no idea what I'm doing. But what we believe is that all of the work and all of the burden and all of the pain and all of the sacrifice and all of the heartbreak, right moms? All of it is worth it. All of it is worth it. We believe that. And we believe that in part because it all stems from this fountain that life is our most precious gift. We believe that God is the creator and sustainer of life and that when he gives life, it is a treasure. And so many of us have experienced that in so many different ways, not just in becoming a mom, but in friends and family and and people who have had an impact on your life beyond what you can put into words. And so honoring motherhood reflects that value of life. Moms who do it day in and day out, the sacrifice and the service that you give reflect how valuable, how precious it is, this gift that God gives us of life. But I don't know if you've noticed, there is a discussion going on in our world around us whether life in the womb is something that is a good thing or an okay thing to end, or whether the woman has, you know, each woman has the rights over her own body and reproductive choices. That discussion has been swirling, probably the most divisive discussion in our country in the past 50 years. And we've got a lot of them, so that's saying something. Probably the most divisive issue. Right now, it's back at the forefront again. It really never seems to go away. Uh, We've had two Supreme Court justices appointed in the past couple years. Both of them, a large part of their discussion was about this issue. Uh, We had a big uh, bill passed in New York State a couple months ago. I think it was back January, mid-January, something like that, that had a lot of talk around how abortion is now legal up to the point of birth. Um, In Georgia, just this past week, uh, the governor signed a bill that's called the heartbeat bill, where abortion is now illegal once a heartbeat is detected. And so there you go. I don't know if you know this, but over the past, uh, in, in this year, over the past few months, over two dozen new laws have been changed in the U.S. on this issue. It is an issue that continues to roll on. And so here's the thing for us as Christians. We live in a very political world. And because of that, this issue has become political, we almost don't know how to talk about it without being political. And yet, we are not political. I don't know if you know this, but we are not a political organization. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, the Dark Ages are largely attributed to the church. And you know when the Dark Ages came? When the church became political. Do you ever think of that? For a thousand years, the church was in power. Christianity doesn't work in power. Jesus didn't come in power, right? And so we've got to come different way at this. And I think we are falling prey to getting sucked into the way that the world talks about this. The temptation is for this to become an issue for us to fight over or a cause for us to champion. But I would tell you, I do not believe that changing the laws is the answer to the problem. Changing laws is a good thing, but it will not solve the problem. How do I know that? Because I've given many good laws to my children and it never fixed them. (laughs) You can never legislate someone into doing the right thing. 
They may do it, but even Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount that we just studied, if your heart still isn't right, it doesn't matter if you've done the right thing, you're still in the wrong place. Our goal is not people who behave well. Our goal is people who are transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, who know that there is a hope for them, that there is a saving power for them, that there is more for them than what this world would offer. And I think sometimes we get sucked into a less instead of the more. We are called to serve and love people. People are our target and our mission. And so this morning, we're privileged to have with us uh, two ladies from an organization that we love, Choices of the Heart. And so I'm going to ask them if they would just come on up. Teresa and Jenna are come up. We're going to have a little conversation for you guys. Um, and I love the way that they approach this issue. They are so on point with how they approach it. You guys are welcome to dig more into uh, their ministry. And, and we have some information out here in the hallway. Come grab a seat. And uh, so I wanted you to hear from them a little bit. I'm going to ask them questions, and uh, they're going to share their heart and experience with you guys. Uh, and then we'll take a little bit of time to look at something that I think is cool in Scripture after that. So this is Teresa. This is Jen. Welcome them this morning. Thank you for having us. Um, why don't you briefly just tell us what your involvement is at Choices? My involvement in Choices just started this past March. And I am a client advocate counselor. We, uh, my role is when women come in with unplanned pregnancy or a pregnancy that they need assistance with, we take them in, we listen to their history, have them fill out some forms, and have hopefully a spiritual discussion with them, helping them make the best decision. Yeah. Uh, great question. Yeah. Um, mine is a voice of uh, coming from the outside. I am post-abortive. So I come to Choices, um, a return. I was there back in the early 2000s to go through a healing program for my past decisions. And now we've come full circle, as God would say, and I'm there to help others be set free. Yeah, amen. A little closer when you talk. A little closer. Yeah, there you go. I have a big mouth. (laughs) It's all right. Actually, Jen and I know each other from way back. Way back when. When we were young young. people. Yes. (laughs) Went to church together for a while. So. We did. We yeah. did. So it's kind of cool to see how the story that God has woven into your life is now bearing so much fruit in what God is calling you into. So that's Amen. a good and thing. And I thank you for that. We give him the praise for it. We know it. It's not just our words. It's our yeah. lives that Amen. do it. And it's Amen. to sit here and listen to your pastor and to meet with him prior to this meeting today has been a blessing to watch your obedience to Christ. Thank and you. just praise the Lord. what he's doing in this place. Do not deny the Holy Spirit is present here. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You clap, but that's because she knew me when I was little. She's like, it's a miracle. Anyhow, uh, well, the first question I have for you guys is, what would you say to someone, to a, a young lady or woman who has gone through an abortion? What kind of words, thoughts, you know, from experience or just, what would you share with someone like that? Very first thing, God loves you and he forgives you. Hmm. We love you, and we forgive you. The biggest challenge is to love and forgive yourself, I believe. Um, but the, this is the important thing. God has set up his, his body to bring healing within community, and shame, guilt, and condemnation lives in secrecy. Mm. It lives in hiding. And unfortunately, our culture, our American culture, and some culture in the church has been to just get over it mm. and move on. And that's not how healing works. We all know that every aspect of healing in our lives takes time. It's a journey. And we need each other, and that's why God set up the church. So 
If you are one of those people, don't grieve alone. Don't suffer alone. Find one person that you can talk to. And if you don't have anybody, Choices of the Heart is here for you. And we're going to tell you a little bit more later about some things that can help you too. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What would you say? Obviously from some experience too. Yes, absolutely. Um, Walking that path, being there, accepting the lies, the belief that I had, not just the first time, but the second time, that I, my compromise did not begin. My sin didn't begin on the abortion table. Began long before that. So what would I say to someone? I would ask them why. What brought you here? What's your past? What's your story? I appreciate what you said right before we came up, that it's people. It's people. Our daughters in the church are getting pregnant. Our daughters in the church are terminating or considering. Are we listening? Are we watching? So I would ask, step into her life. Step into someone's. You know, if you hear them, if you see them going astray, like Jesus came after us, don't wait for Jesus to go chase her. He sent you to go chase her. Yeah. Go be a part of her life. Yeah. It's, I think sometimes we overlook the opportunities we have with folks because we don't know what to say. We don't, we're a little intimidated and scared. And so we leave messages out there, you know, that maybe we don't even mean or we don't know how to clear up. And so that invitation for us just to like step in uh, calls for faith Absolutely. in some, you know, dependence on the spirit. But don't underplay that because I think there's a, that's a huge thing. It absolutely is. Yeah. a long, long way. Yeah. I think, though, you know, if sometimes when we talk about uh, things, the ministry of, of ministering to, to folks who are trying to figure out what do we do with this pregnancy? We don't feel ready for it. We don't feel like, we feel like it's shameful. It's, we don't know how to talk about that with people. And so people feel like they just have to disappear. And that's, that's not the way our God works. So that's not the way we should work. And I know it calls for courage. It calls for grace. It calls for love. But I think we have a calling here to step into. And we too, too quickly are ready to step out of it. You know, vote for the right candidate and therefore my job is done. Um, I don't remember anywhere in scripture where Jesus said vote for the right candidate. But I do remember where he told us to love people. To reflect his love. So... Good. Um, what do you think, Teresa, is the best way uh, to help pregnant women wrestling with the choice of what to do? What are the best, you know, avenues and the, the kind of the best approaches, the best mindset to help someone who is facing that choice? Because in the end, whether it's legal or not legal, they have a choice given to them by God about what they're going to do. So what is our, from experience and, you know, your history of a passion for this. What is your idea of the best way? There are several things. Um, the first thing you have to realize is when a woman has an unplanned pregnancy, and I had to, um, you feel pressured. And our culture makes you feel pressured. And we think we have to make a fast decision. A fast decision. And what we, you know, we're told by the world, oh, this is the decision between a woman and her doctor. It's really forced and foremost a decision between a woman and God. Mm and her husband, and ultimately your church, because we're accountable. But making a fast decision is not always the best decision. And this is a decision that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. So our mission at Choices is to obviously protect the unborn, but also to empower people to make healthy choices. 
best choices. Secondly, you need to know what your options are and you need to know what support is out there. Most people don't. Most people think they only have one or two options. There are many options. Um, you know, besides the fact, oh, well, I have to abort or have the baby. That's it. You know, there's adoption. There's family living situations. There's, you can have as much involvement or as little involvement as you want in raising your child and being in your child's life if you can't financially afford it. But the pregnancy centers like choices are there to come alongside you and help you make the best choice. And sometimes that just sitting down and having a conversation with somebody about what else is out there and obviously praying mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think rush is one of the things that the enemy loves to do with all of us, not just on this issue, but on any issue. issue. The time is running out. You've got to get it done quick. And I don't know that I've made many good decisions when I felt like I had to make it before I was ready to make it. So having that conversation, um, exposing opportunities and uh, resources. Yeah, those are big, big things. What would you say, Jen? Um, I couldn't agree more with what Teresa shared in that there is that panic, like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? But that we also be proactive, that we don't wait until someone is pregnant. We don't wait just to do, and I never dismiss what pro-rallies are and our our political stance in here, but to just go, what, God, what would you have me to do? You know, I didn't have, if you have someone who who hasn't experienced being pregnant um, out of wedlock or your, your daughter or someone you know, but there's always something you can do. There's always something we can do. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we underestimate because we see it as an issue and someone becomes an issue when they they have an unplanned pregnancy. But God may be calling you into friendships that as you invest in them, they're going to be bearing fruit as an issue like that shows up. And you didn't because they're a person, not an issue. So having that relationship with them long before and interacting with them as that person, that wholesome. I think a lot of times in the, the LGBTQ discussion that's out there, uh, on both sides, it becomes this is who I am, right. and and you're not that issue, and you're not that I, your identity is so much broader than that. Just like uh, someone with an unplanned pregnancy is so much more than an abortion pawn, yep. you know, so much more than a, a, a piece in the debate where you're voting on one side or the other. Someone that you love, and you can uh, walk into their life and show them that they matter and that you care about them. Absolutely, and being post-abortive is not who I am. Right. It's, it's part of my life. It's part of my story, part of my reality, but it doesn't define who I am. How, tell me a little bit about that journey, like the coming from, because clearly that's a big piece for you is feeling like, how did, who, how, who am I? How did I get here? <laughs> and what do I do about this kind of identity that feels like it's mine now? Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Um, well, as uh, pastor said, we grew up together. So I am um, from the church. We know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in church every week, go up in youth group, Awana, you name it. And when I was in my teens, life at home began to dramatically change. When it changed, it also changed at church. Um, the sad part was is that we were in a smaller congregation, probably a little bit bigger than yours here. And people, you know, you can see it. We're not blind unless we choose to close our eyes. We're not deaf unless we choose to close our ears and push someone aside. When my parents started going through some rough times, I was the eldest of, I am the eldest of three. We were the kids that were pushed aside. You can't do that. There hurts. There's pains that are deep within. Well, in those pains, 
we're going to run. Think about what you've run to. We're going to run and find love and security, as false as it may be. We can know the truth here, but in here we're hurting. So when I was in my teens, I was uh, 16, my first compromise began. It didn't begin in bed. It began going to a club I never belonged in. It was an underage club, but nonetheless, I wasn't allowed to do those things, and I went anyway. And I met my first boyfriend, and from there... It's easier to make a choice a little bit darker, a little bit more, a little more compromise, a little more compromise. So I'm going to try not to cry. When I got to that place of now I'm pregnant, it had been a few years later. I was 19 with my first. I never thought that I would be uh, having to face such a decision, but here I am. I bought the lie that I will be connected to him for the rest of my life. It was an unhealthy relationship. God's not going to bless if I'm doing it in disobedience. And I found myself pregnant and lying on a table. When I went through my first abortion, I will tell you that I died on the table that day. I was forever changed. From there, um, things got darker. Things got deeper uh, in sin. I continued to search for love that I thought I knew, thought I would have, the God of the universe that created us, and I learned about my whole life, where was he? Because he was, for me, he was nowhere to be found. I'll fast forward a little bit more. I have another boyfriend. This one didn't want children. I'm pregnant again in my mid-20s. When it's easy to do the first, we never imagine how easy it is to do the second. Did I want to? No, but yeah. And I found myself, at that point, suicidal. Hmm. From there... I, I don't know how else to answer at the moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> From there. Um, I'm amazed that I can sit here with you today. That's all I can say at the moment. You got another question. Go to your next question. The story will be continued, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it comes obviously from a very deep place for you. And I think there are many who know that place. And I thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Um, Teresa, for you, what's your connection with passion for this? Where does that come from inside of you as far as like the drive to be a part of what Choices does? Uh, My whole walk with the Lord has been a journey um, from being a special educator for many years, being an associate pastor for a number of years, my own story of healing, my own physical healing, I uh, have a passion for seeing people made whole. Mm. And made whole, you know, we in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23, he says the, the, the Lord desires to sanctify us wholly, spirit, soul, and body. And I have a desire to see people, and in this capacity, women, um, ha- come to wholeness. Mm. Um, you know, whatever is in the past, whatever is going on in the present, and whatever the potential is for the future, God desires us to come from a place of wholeness. And as Jen has stated and Pastor here, that we are not what happened to us. You know, shame tries to define who we are. Um, Guilt says we did something wrong. And God has already forgiven that through the cross and the resurrection. He's already forgiven that. He already sees us in our new identity. But shame wants to tell us that's who we are. And he wants to steal our identity. That's really the, what the enemy lies to us. You know, we sang about that this morning. Yeah. But here's the cool thing. First 
Timothy 1, I believe, verse 9, says that he had a purpose for each one of our lives before time began. Wow. Before I, you existed, I knew you. I had a calling on your life and a purpose for your life. And I'll tell you, I got to a point in my life where I said, God, I messed up so much. I just don't think you can do anything with me. And he said, what? He said, you think your sin and your mistake is bigger than me? Yeah. I'm too small. Your God's too small. And that's not who I am. So I was like, wow, God. So, wow, that ought to be liberating for anybody yeah. right there. Yeah. You know? So that's Amen. where I come from. Amen. The power. There's power beyond what we can imagine. Yes. And uh, it's a power that brings hope to our lives. And I would say, uh, Jen, for you, I, yeah, I know that you have a wonderful church around you. But I also think it's pretty special. I just want to say this. Um, this is not a story that you have told years and years and years. This is, this is just starting to come out. And I think we're the first people that really get to hear some of this for you. So I really appreciate your courage. But I also believe God's going to bless that courage in a huge way because it's a step of faith forward for what God wants to do in your life and through your life. So I'm thankful that as a church, your church family can come around you and walk with you and you have a wonderful family as well that loves and supports you. So I believe there's a power that you just talked about of healing that continues. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. But give me just a little bit about what you think a church mindset could be towards folks who have walked through this journey or are going to walk through this journey? Like, what could we put in our heads that would be the best approach for, you know, us as people of the Lord to, you know what I'm saying? I think I got you. Okay, okay. That there would not be condemnation. What's yeah. the expression, though, is that, you know, live in glass houses. We all have a story, whether it's abortion, whether it's a drunkenness past, if it's an abusive relationship, it, it doesn't matter at the foot of the cross, Jesus shed that blood for all of it. So when we do, it's going to be important, I think, like you shared, Pastor, to not look at it like a political decision. It is not. It's in the heart of us as human beings. I knew that I was doing wrong. I knew I was doing wrong before that appointment. When we look at the people around us, can we, again, just can we see them? Do we see the heart of Christ? It yeah. says in Scripture, Jesus tells us he sat amongst publicans and sinners. We have to see people for who they are and to understand that my story is not worse than, my story is not greater than. It's just my story. And am I worthy of his love? Well, then I should be worthy of his people to, to love me enough and that I can love them in return. Amen. And to listen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Amen. You have a couple of opportunities you wanted to share before we're done. I do. Um, I know that, that in a congregation like this, and anywhere really in a community, there are people that are hurting. The, you know, post-abortion syndrome is it's real. Um, and it doesn't just go away right away. It can, it can live for many years if you don't have closure from an experience or you know someone who has been through this and has not healed. Um, Choices is in, well, I, actually, I'm in the process of relaunching a curriculum from Heartbeat International. It's called HEARTS, and it stands for Healing from the Effects of Abortion-Related Trauma. We all have trauma in our lives, and this is one big one. If you yourself feel that you need to process and go through this journey and find closure so that you can go on and help others, or if you know someone 
that needs to take this this course. Um, it is a healing program. It's seven sessions. We're going to try to launch this in June, if not maybe July. We don't have a start date yet. But right now, um, just preparing the materials um, for it. It will meet on Friday mornings at Choices of the Heart. I actually have some sign-up sheets with me. If you are interested um, in giving us your contact information and past, you can tell us where you would like us to set up those clip- clipboards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, please see us and me after the service, and uh, you know, we'd be happy to to connect with you. Good. You want to say something? Yes. And so before I close, you know, to sit up here and you you had shared just a moment ago, I never imagined um, that I have a supportive family. I took the lives of two children. And in that, I never, ever imagined, I never believed that God would forgive someone like me. Today, I sit before you a mother of five living children. Three of them will be here today at second service. Two of them are 11 and 12. Their time has not yet come to know the truth about their mom. They will soon, but not yet, so they're with daddy. But to have that support, there are prayers that are being lifted for you by those that I can trust, those that know me, those that are walking with me, that this is um, a memory I carry, no longer a pain, because it's been washed in the blood of Christ. I don't want my story to be my children that are waiting for me or the ones that are here with me today. I don't want my story to be known by anything but the power, the love, and the reckless. I love that we sang that this morning. He left the 99. He left the 99. I'm her. I'm that one. And he wants to do that for you. There's no question you can't ask me. It may seem like, oh, I couldn't do, can't ask her that. That would sound mean or rude. You can't offend me, just so you know. <laughs> ask away because it might be exactly what you need to know for yourself or to help someone else. Yeah. So. Well, I want to thank both of you. I know that God is going to use you in great ways through Choices of the Heart. We're thankful for what they are doing collectively, but your specific roles and uh, we thank you for being here today as a part of this service. So thank you. Thank you. They're going to be up here after the service. Thank you. I'm going to have them just up here after the service, right here. Uh, you're welcome to come up and talk to them. Uh, the sign-up sheets for those uh, things that Teresa was talking about will be up there as well. And I just want to take a couple minutes and take you to Genesis 38 because I've, I really, as I've thought about this Mother's Day uh, and this topic, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And it is so mind-blowing, this story. And, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing. But I'm just going to tell you, read Genesis 38 sometime. And read it in the context of what we're going to talk about today. Because in Genesis chapter 28, I'm going to read verse 24. Here's what it says. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. Now that one verse, there's some drama in that, isn't there? There's this, there's this guy, Judah, which if you have read through the Old Testament or, or any idea of the, the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, you recognize the name of Judah, right? And so this man, Judah, has a daughter-in-law, and they find out that she's pregnant. It is, it, as far as he understands, it is an unplanned pregnancy. 
And so here what we have is we have, a, to me, it's such a similar situation to what we find over and over again in our world today. It is a pregnancy that is a problem. It is a shame to this young woman. And it is something that is easily taken care of. In Judah's mind, it is easily taken care of. What do we do? We end the pregnancy. We end the girl. Done. In Ju- Judah is one of the children of Israel out of whom all, you know, all of God's people will grow over the next hundreds and hundreds of years. And Judah's solution, one of the children of God is, this is an easy problem to fix. Let's end it. How many pregnancies today are seen as a problem like that? And so we can understand how Judah could see it as a painful, real hurdle, an obstacle. And the solution to him seems so unavoidable. It might be regrettable, but there's really no reason to hold back. Let's end the pregnancy. Problem solved. And she probably deserves it. She's been in prostitution. She probably deserves it. She probably deserves to die anyway. Isn't this the discussion that we wind up having? And it is godless. And here's one of the people of God having this discussion in front of people who are part of his family. She doesn't even deserve to continue living. She is a shame. She is someone that should be taken care of. How many women who find themselves pregnant today feel this kind of weight and this kind of uncertainty? But this story doesn't end there. And so I want to read the rest of this chapter. And I, verse 25 down to the rest of the chapter, because Judah's about to find out that he's a part of the shame of the story. Okay, verse 25, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. It's Judah's, by the way. (laughs) Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And she did not sleep, and he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this is the one that came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who came out with the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was named Zira. Now, none of those names particularly matter, but here's the thing about that story. The pregnancy does not wind up being ended. And it doesn't wind up being ended because as shameful as the story was to start, when Judah found out the rest of it, he realized that he was a part of the whole mess. He hadn't given this this, uh, daughter-in-law to his son as he had promised to do, and so she was destitute. So she wound up pretending to be a prostitute, and Judah decided that on a trip to the town, he needed to be with the prostitute, so he slept with her. And now here is, she is pregnant, and he says, bring her out, let's end her. And so as she's being brought out to be put to death for her shameful act, she says, the guy who slept with me gave me this stuff. See if you recognize it. And Judah's like, oh, that's mine. What a mess. You know, the family of God is not exempt from big messes. And Judah, as part of the original family of God, was knee deep, neck deep, eyeballs deep in it. But how many stories of shame and burden end right there? 
Here's the amazing thing about this, and this is what I want you to grab from this, and you can use this again and again in your life when life seems dark and hopeless, when you seem like you've made a mess of it, there's no possible way for this to ever turn into good. Listen to what happens. These babies are born. One of these babies is the forefather of Jesus Christ. Because that pregnancy was not ended, down through that line comes David. And down through that line, from this act, down through that line comes the Savior of all mankind. That's the God we serve. A God who can take a mess like that and turn it into the redemption of all mankind. That's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. That's how much hope there is for you in the dark. If you think that you have made too much of a mess of your life for God to do anything good, I would say just remember Tamar and her pregnancy. Just remember this unplanned pregnancy, this pregnancy that seemed like it would just be easier if we just got rid of it, if it were just over God can do so much more than you could possibly imagine. So if you're facing a really hard choice, everything you see can tell you that the only solution is something that is no solution at all. Sometimes your choices and and the results of your choices tell you that you are going to be a burden, that you are going to be a shame, that you can't ever recover. But I am here to tell you from the word of God and from this unimaginably dark story, That if you go to Luke 1 and you go to Matthew 1 and you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you will find this story reflected as the New Testament opens. And it is not a story of glory for any human being, but it is a story of glory for God Almighty, the Redeemer. Only God can do this with a story. So church, I'm saying to you, there are all kinds of situations where we can make a judgment without knowing the facts. Judah opened his big mouth before he knew he was the problem. I'm saying, church, we need to kind of take a step back and and regrip and reground ourselves again, especially on this issue, as it becomes politicized and it becomes about fighting for laws and about, you know, abortion is murder and all this stuff. And, And I don't know that anything we have to evaluate. Is that true? Is that not true? What we have to evaluate is this. Is that helpful? Is that Jesus? Is that the hope that we should be reflecting to this world? Or is that something else? Is that human strength and human opinion and the will to impose to make sure other people do what we think is right, what we maybe even know is right? I'm not saying that we can't vote for things that we think are good, but I'm saying don't ever be deceived into believing that you can go into a voting booth and vote for a law or vote people in and you have done your responsibility on this issue because your responsibility on this issue has almost nothing to do with that. It has to do with loving people like Jesus loves them. It has to do with sharing hope like Jesus shares hope. And it has to do with you in the dark moments of your life living like there is hope even when it feels like there couldn't possibly be hope. A faith that is deep enough and strong enough to say, I don't ever have to just say, oh, well, nothing I can do about that. What I can say is I know God has an answer and God has healing. So we have a hope to share 
I'm saying, let's tune in our radars to share it, to be ready to share a hope like that. What we learn from a passage like this is that an unwed mother who is pregnant still has purpose in God's plan. If you find yourself where you've messed up so bad that you think, well, that's it for me. I'm done. I'm lost. I'm gone. God says, well, remember Tamar and Judah. Remember what I did with that. And I will tell you, if you will just put your life in my hands, watch what I will do with you. And by the way, her baby has a plan in the plan of God. God has a purpose for those babies as well. So understand how much God values the unborn, the plan that God had. And so if you've ever felt unwanted, these babies were unwanted. If you've ever felt that, that's not the end of your story. That doesn't even tell you the truth about your story. That's a feeling and it's a lie that comes from the enemy towards you. God said they may be called unwanted, but I want them and I want to do something. Recognize that God has a plan for those who have messed up. If you've ever felt like you've messed up too bad, you've never messed up beyond the reach of the grace of God. No matter what age you are, I know we have our kids in with us today. Kids, no matter what age you are, when you do what is wrong, God can make it right. God can make it right if you let him. And parents and adults, we need to live like he can for those that we see who've messed up and for ourselves when we've messed up because that's how we live and walk by faith. I want to say happy Mother's Day to our moms. I want to remind all our ladies about our gift on the way out. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. Let's close our service in order of prayer and we will be dismissed. Feel free to come up and talk with Jen and Teresa up here after the service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our moms. We thank you for this passage that reminds us about the hope that there is, the hope, the impossible hope that you provide when we walk by faith, when we put our trust in you. So Father, I pray that you would stir that hope inside of every heart this day. People who feel like it's too dark and it's too lost and, and it's too bad, it's, it's too much hurt, it's too much pain. Father, may your spirit call to each heart today, inviting us to put our trust in you, to follow you by faith. And we thank you for these stories that we have seen that reflect your goodness and your love and your healing power. For those who need your healing power today, Father, pour it out in their lives as they may be tentatively for the first time in a long time turned towards you. Father, meet them in that moment as only you can by the power of your spirit. And so, Father, we put these things in your hand. We ask you to lead us forward that we would represent you well. May your kingdom come and your will be done right here in our midst and among us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.